Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. Uh, we're going to read from Revelation chapter 14 back in the Apocalypse series again. So good. Pastor Tyrone, a great message last week. And we're in season three and we are diving in chapter 14. You guys ready? So, so buckle up. It's the word of the Lord. I'm going to read um, actually a number of different verses here. So we're going to start at verse 11. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. Verse 12, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit. They will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. I looked and there before me was a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud. Take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. He who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. Verse 17, another angel came out of the temple of he in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had, charged, who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle and gather the cluster of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. Verse 19, the angel swung his sickle over the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's brides for a distance of 1,600 stadia. Then I'm going to go to chapter 15, verse 1. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. Then I heard a loud voice from, this is, I'm sorry, this is uh, chapter 16. Is it chapter 16 now, Tyra? Yeah, all right. And then chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. And verse 7, and I heard the altar respond, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. And then verse 12 and 18 to wrap it up. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Verse 13, then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. 
Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that ye may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the king together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. This is the word of the Lord. We just had a good flyover of 14, 15, and 16. We're going to cover all of that in the next few moments. Are you ready for this? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that continues to change us, to speak to us, because it is alive and active because it is from you. And so, Lord, we just ask that right now you would open our ears so that we would hear what you, Spirit, would speak to us. Lord, would you change us? Would you challenge us? Would you stir in us a calling, a mandate, and a vision from you? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You can have a seat. So, it's October, and I don't know if you know what October is, but it actually is Pastors Appreciation Month. Did you know that? And we got some great pastors here at our church, and we got a little little card, a little flyer we're going to hand out right now, and I'd love for you to take this home just as a reminder to pray for the pastors of Rivers Church, and it's also just a reminder, since it is Pastors Appreciation, do something to appreciate our amazing pastors here at, at, at the church. And so there's that card. If you're in the room here, you can take this card home. And as a, as a reminder to pray, we'll send it out digitally to everybody that is joining us online and listen to us as well. But we want to appreciate our pastors this month. Amen? Speaking of pastors, did you know Pastor Griffin and Pastor Autumn had their baby this last week? Uh, we got pictures right here celebrating you guys. Uh, I, I'm assuming they're online with us right now, and we just are so excited for you guys. Baby Ellie has come into the world, and she is beautiful, and we celebrate with them. Griffin was here last Sunday leading worship for the first part of this uh, of the service, and at the end of the service, he was gone because Autumn got called to the hospital. He was running to the hospital, and so it was kind of a fun Sunday for them last, last Sunday, and a great week for, for the deaf nurse. And a great week in a lot of ways this week. Um, talked last week about following Jesus wherever he leads. How'd that go for you? You follow Jesus wherever he led you this last week? I, I look forward to in the future sharing with you how, how Jesus was leading me and Amy this week. And pretty crazy. But uh, this also this week was youth convention. A bunch of students and, you, and, and youth leaders took our students to youth convention. Where's the youth convention people at? Come on. That was super quiet. Oh, my goodness. I really expected something uh, profound. There. Where's, where's the youth convention people out here? Where, where, where are they at? <laughs> <They're> exhausted. <laughs> hey, I've heard great things from students about youth convention. I just want to say thank you to all of our youth leaders. Really appreciate you guys and all that you do to give. You gave up a weekend to serve students and to set the stage for God to move in their life. Thank you so much. Yeah, come on. We can honor our youth leaders. Thank you so much, all the youth leaders. Appreciate Andrew leading the way in that. And 
uh, just excited what God's doing in the youth ministry. And uh, with that note, Shay's going to leave. <laughs> Revelation. You ready for this? Who's excited about Revelation? Anybody? Who gets nervous about Revelation? Anybody? <laughs> Who gets excited about the Word of God? Like, you just excited we're going to die in the world? Okay, good. That's, that's, that's what I want to hear right here. All right, so last week we left off in the middle of chapter 14. We couldn't finish it. So there was this angel flying through the air proclaiming the eternal gospel. We talked about that last week. The, the gospel is rooted in eternity. Then a second angel came out. We didn't get there, but this angel is declaring fallen. Fallen is the great Babylon. The third angel comes out and says, do not worship the beast or take its mark on your forehead or on your arms because you will experience the wrath of God. So that's the messages of those three angels. And then right after that, let's go and look at this verse. We just read it, but I want to read this one verse here. Verse 12. This is the message to God's people. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Let me encourage you, no matter what happens in your life, to grow in patient endurance. How many could use a little bit more patient endurance in their life? I pray that God gives you that supernaturally and that you just, just keep walking in obedience to Jesus. Remain faithful to him. You realize that faithfulness is all that really matters in the end, right? I, I want Jesus to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Faithfulness is what really, really matters in the end. So I just pray that no matter what you go through, that you'd stay faithful. No matter how hard it gets, stay faithful to him. Grow in patient endurance because life gets hard sometimes. Have you found that out? It can be challenging. It can be difficult. There's amazing seasons. And then there's these challenging seasons. And Jesus said that. What happened? Jesus didn't promise that life would be easy and comfortable all the way through. Jesus said this. He says, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. No matter what happens, you can have peace in Jesus. Because peace is an internal thing from him. But he says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. We look to Jesus, and by his spirit, alive and at work in you, you can grow in patient endurance and remain faithful to him. Stay faithful to him. He's always going to be faithful to you. Do you know that? He is always faithful to you. No matter what you and I do, he is always faithful. Let me encourage you to be faithful to Jesus. All right, then verse 13. John says, then I heard a voice from heaven say, right Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Did you know that someday you're going to die? Did you know that? Unless we get caught up in the rapture, you know, when Jesus comes back to take his church, we get caught up in the sky with him. If that happens before we die, we would say, Awesome. Because no one wants to experience that. That gets really scary. It's just kind of an odd thing for us to think about. People don't like to think about death. They don't like to talk about death. And that's why we avoid like making a will and all that kind of stuff. Because I don't even want to go there, right? But the truth is, it's going to happen. It will happen. So when it happens, can I just say, make sure you die in the Lord. Because if you do, you will be blessed. 
That's what it says right there. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. That's why it's so important to be faithful to him throughout the rest of your life. When you take that last breath, I pray that you're still faithful to Jesus and you die in the Lord. And how you live right now, it still matters. Did you see that? That your deeds will follow you into your eternal experience. So you and I are going to go to one of two places in the end. You actually are immortal. Did you realize that? We think we're, we're mortal. No, we actually are immortal beings. We will live forever. We will live for eternity somewhere. We've got two options. And how we live this life and the deeds that we do are going to follow us into our eternal experience. Now, don't get me wrong. Your deeds do not earn your ticket into heaven. It only comes through with him and get into heaven. Okay, so our deeds won't keep us there, get us there. Okay, but our deeds will impact our eternal experience. That is very clear in scripture. So we rely on the grace. We're thankful for the grace because without it, we wouldn't be going to heaven. We wouldn't even have a relationship with Jesus right now. But our deeds will follow us into heaven, into our eternal experience. Don't forget that. Okay, going, moving on here. We won't go through every verse, but we're going to go through a lot of them. Verse 14, I looked and there before me was a white cloud. And seated on the cloud was one like a son of man. And when the Bible says that, what that means is Jesus. That son of man phrase, that's okay, that was Jesus. With the crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud. Take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. Now, chapter 14 is one of those chapters that's very hard to interpret. There's a lot of really cool, amazing stuff in there that's like, okay, some of this is very clear and some of it is, is not so clear. So how do we interpret all of this? But what we do see here is we see man in the clouds with a crown on his head and a sickle in his hand. Okay, there's a man in the clouds, crown on his head, a sickle in his hand. And you know what a sickle is? A sickle looks like this. I got a picture of it here. That's what they used to, to reap the wheat harvest. And so they would use that to just to, to cut the wheat. And I've never done it. I don't know exactly how they did it, but I know they would do something like that. <laughs> and they would reap the harvest. Okay, so that's what Jesus has in his hand. He's getting ready to reap the wheat harvest here. And so it's a picture of Jesus gathering his people to him, which causes us to think, is this the rapture? Is that what he's talking about here? Okay, this is another one of those, like, in the middle of Revelation, you're like, what is going on here? It, it, it's what we can see clearly that Jesus is gathering his people, but is this the rapture? And if so, this seems to be taking place towards the end of the tribulation. So, like, is the rapture going to happen at the end of the tribulation? Because I don't like that theology. I don't want it to happen then. I don't believe that. Therefore, it cannot happen at the end. All right? How many know just because we believe something or don't believe in something doesn't make it right or wrong, right? Truth is truth no matter what we believe or not, okay? So truth is truth. So this is one of those passages that causes people to really believe that the rapture will happen at the end of the tribulation. Now, the tribulation, if you don't know, is the seven-year period in the end times when all hell breaks loose because basically 
I shouldn't say it's hell breaking loose. It's really God's wrath being poured out. God's wrath is being poured out. It is gonna be a tough, tough seven-year period at the end of times. During this season, also, the Antichrist will rise to power. He will be this like seemingly good, charismatic leader that will bring peace and form a one-world government, and then he's gonna deceive the world, and all this craziness is gonna be happening throughout the seven-year tribulation. And so the question is, does Jesus come and rapture his church before all that happens, or somewhere in the middle of where it happens, or towards the end? And so some people look at this and say, well, this seems to indicate that it happens at the end of this seven-year period that we call the tribulation. Now, back in season two, I stood up and I said, I am 65% sure that the rapture will happen pre-tribulation. I cannot say definitively, I know this is it. Now, I lean to that and I explained, if you want to go back and look at it, we spent a whole Sunday on tribulation and rapture, why I believe all of that. I got some good reasons why I believe that. I, I lean towards that. And if you think differently, that's great. This is one of the passages that could support you think that it's towards the end of the tribulation. Uh, so this is one of those ones that kind of messes with you. Like, what is going on? So maybe it's just another interlude of what Jesus has already done, but um, it's just kind of a backflash. Uh, again, Revelation isn't exactly linear. It's not like then this, then this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. It's like we're all over the place, okay? I mean, chapter 12 was the Christmas story. Remember chapter 12, the Christmas story? Uh, the, the Jesus being born, and it was like, it was a different type of a Christmas story because like the devil was right there ready to swallow up baby Jesus. And so it was an interesting Christmas story. But uh, it's, not everything's linear. So this is one of those passages that causes us to wrestle with when does this rapture take place? Especially when you couple it with those other verses that Pastor John Mark just read. Verses 15 and 16 of Revelation, look, I come like a thief, blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in the Hebrew is called Armageddon. Some of you know that's a very key word in Revelation. Maybe way too much emphasized within Revelation, but it is a, a, a key word and so that, you, that struck you. And so that's towards the end. The Armageddon is when this final battle seems to take place at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. And does the rapture happen right before that? Because that's when all this is happening. That's when the man in the cloud shows up. So we wrestle with these things. Some people read this and they think, well, there's two raptures. There's going to be the rapture of the mature believers at the beginning of the tribulation. And then there's going to be a second rapture towards the end of the tribulation. These were believers. Maybe they weren't believers, but now they've become believers. They weren't ready to be raptured by Jesus. They weren't mature. Now they have matured. The harvest is now ripe towards the end of the seven years, and now Jesus is going to grab them before everything ends. There's, there's people that very strongly believe that there's going to be a pre-trib, and then, uh, uh, then at the end of tribulation, based upon passages like this. Okay, so... We're not going to go on and on about rapture theology, just so you know. When the timing of it is, uh, here's what we do know. There is going to be a man in the clouds with a crown on his head and a sickle in his hand. That will happen. And Jesus will gather up his people. When that happens, you can decide. If it happens pre-tribulation, great. If it happens mid-post, great. 
Just make sure you're ready for it. That's the point that Jesus wants to make through Revelation. Be ready for whenever that happens, okay? So regardless of when the rapture takes place, let me encourage you with something we just looked at. Uh, Grow in patient endurance and remain faithful to Jesus. In season two, I pose this question. Should we prepare to escape the tribulation or endure the tribulation? And I think we should prepare for both. Both. Then whatever happens, we're good. We're ready, no matter what. Because a lot of Christians are like, you know, they follow Jesus and they think life's going to get easier. And all of a sudden it gets hard. They're like, forget you, Jesus. I thought this was going to be easy. And that would be the same thing that would happen if we had to go through the tribulation, right? Like, Jesus, I didn't believe this was going to happen. Forget you. And I hate for that to happen because I want you to grow in patient endurance and remain faithful to Jesus no matter what happens in your life. No matter if Jesus comes back in a different timeline than your theology. Because he just might do that. All right, so the next several verses speak of this harvest of grapes and gathering of grapes and the grapes get trampled on you know when they make wine but then it's actually a reference to blood it seems to kind of reference the final battle of armageddon just be bloody people dying and what that does is it sets up where we're going for the next two chapters as we see again the wrath of god being poured out on the earth and this is one of those topics we've addressed a couple of times but it's important to look at it again because people struggle with the wrath of god If we're honest, we don't like to read about this stuff. It doesn't feel good. Like, I like to read the, like, God is love passages. And God is grace, and he's faithful to me no matter what I do. Like, but we don't like the God is wrath passages, right? Like, we tend to not go to passages like, I don't know, let me just pull one out here. From the sky, huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell upon men, and they cursed God on account of the plague of hell because the plague was so terrible. We don't tend to memorize and meditate on those passages and just think, oh, praise God, you are so good. I just love verse 21 of chapter 16 of Revelation because that's what I just read. We tend not to go there, right? We avoid those things like, what? It's like, what is going on? The whole wrath of God stuff is like, it messes up. People, there's a lot of people that don't believe in God because of the wrath of God. Like, how can a loving God do this? That does not make sense. And that is an honest, and I even say a fair question. If you wrestle with that, that's okay. It's good to wrestle through this stuff. Because we have to understand, as best as we can, everything about God. We need to learn his full, complete nature. And so that's why it's good for us to lean into this like wrath of God and all that, even though it doesn't feel good. I don't like how it makes me feel. Uh, Again, don't let your feelings determine your theology. Don't let your feelings determine what you believe and don't believe in this book. Okay. Our feelings can get in the way. Have you you noticed that? Our feelings can kind of cloud truth and kind of cloud what's reality. Like don't let your feelings lead your life at all. I mean, think about this. Did going through the cross feel good to Jesus? Aren't you thankful that he still went through the cross? So feelings do not dictate and determine our life. They're good indicators of how we're doing. Uh, Be aware. Be self-aware. Grow through those, but don't let them lead and determine the course of your life. Okay, so it's good for us to just be honest about this whole wrath thing and where we're at. Um, But here's what I believe. I believe... 
that God exists. That's bottom line for me. I believe he, he's real. I look at the world and I say, there's so much design. There has to be a designer. You know, a couple weeks ago, Amy and I went on our little anniversary getaway. We got to go to the Getty Museum in L.A. It's a really cool experience. And one of the favorite places for people to go at the Getty Museum is an original piece of Van Gogh art. And so we stood in front of this Van Gogh art. We got a picture of it, I believe. I took a picture of Amy standing in front of it. And so there it is. We're, we're, we're gazing at this original painting by Vincent van Gogh, like 200, 300 years old, however it is. And people just gather around this, because this, again, this is one of the main attractions. There's actually a lady security guard that's there all day long right by this, which you think makes sense. I even saw a guy get up close with his phone to take a picture, and, she, and she's like, no, no, you can't do that, you know, and she slapped him away. Like, they are protecting this piece. You don't touch it. You don't get too close to it. But people gather around it and you hear people talking about it. And they're just like, wow, this is amazing. This is super cool. And as people are saying things, here's what I did not hear. I didn't hear anybody say, isn't it just amazing how all of those colors and paint fell on that piece of paper and it, looked, it looks like that? <laughs> Nobody said that. Because people look at art and they naturally assume there's an artist. You look at all the design in the world and you have to naturally assume there is a designer. Someone had to make all of this. There's too much design for me to not believe in God. And there's overwhelming evidence of God and his existence and overwhelming evidence that this is his book right here. And not only did God create all of us, but he has revealed himself to us because he wanted to. He's revealed himself to us, not just through this book, but through this book. He's revealed himself to us through Jesus. And now through those of us who believe in him, through his spirit, who is alive and at work within us, God wanted to reveal himself to us. That's what we learned because he loves you and he wants relationship with you. So he wanted to reveal that about himself to you. God is all about relationship. And so we see very clearly as we read his word and we spend time with him and enjoy his presence that God really is love. But God is also holy and he's also just. And because he is a just God, he will perform justice. And that's what we're entering into in these next couple of chapters. So here's the quick flyover again. Verse one, chapter 15. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. Verse 1, chapter 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath here on earth. And then another place where you, you saw uh, Pastor John Mark read and said, it is finished. It's funny how you read through Revelation and you come to this place and you think, oh, this is it. This is the end. And you're like, nope. Oh, it keeps going. Okay, there's more. Oh, this is it. It's the end. This is the end. This is the culmination. Nope, there's more. It's kind of like watching that Lord of the Rings movie, Return of the King. You ever see the Return of the King? It's one of the greatest movies ever made. So if you haven't seen it, come on. I'll never forget watching Return of the King for the very first time. It was opening night. We went to the 11 o'clock show, 11 p.m. So if you know anything about Return of the King, it's like six hours long. So we were there till all night. It was an all-nighter till like six in the morning. I was loving it, though, because, again, it's like my, one of my favorite movies. 
And what's hilarious about Return of the King is it comes to this place at the end and it, it blacks out and you're like, oh, it's over. That was good. And then it comes back on. And you're like, oh, there's more. Okay, all right. And then it's, it's over. Oh, wow, that was good. Oh, there's more. Okay, it comes back on. And I remember it's in the middle of the night watching this. I'm loving it, but people around me are like, what? And it almost ends and then it comes on again, you know, and people are like, how long is this going to go? <laughs> and it ends again. And no, no, it's not over yet. It's still more. People are like, come on already, you know, and I'm like, this is good. Just keep going. I like it. Revelation kind of feels like that at times, right? It's like, it's over. It's finished. Nope. Nope. Because now like we're going to the next chapter. There's like this prostitute and a beast. Like, what are we going? What's going on here? It just keeps going on. Okay. It will finally end, but it just kind of feels that way, right? So we won't take time to go through these chapters here in detail, but what we do see clearly is we're coming to the climax of Revelation. Things are, are, are really at a pinnacle here. Chapters 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19, coming in 20. And I do believe we're going to finish this this fall. So we're going to have some more flyovers through, through all of this. But what we see in these two chapters, 15 and 16, is another set of sevens. We've seen three sevens in Revelation. There's the seven seals, there's the seven trumpets, and the seven bulls that we're, gonna, that we're looking at right here. Seven bulls of God's wrath. Every time God's pouring out wrath and, and judgment. The number seven is the number for completeness. Three sevens represents completely complete. That's what God is doing through these three sets of, of seven, through this judgment and wrath. And what's interesting about these bowls here is that they line up almost identically with the seven trumpets that we read a few chapters ago. You go through them, and you're like, oh, wow, that's, that's very identical. It's kind of the same thing. And on top of that, what's super interesting is there is a lot of similarities between these bowls and the trumpets and the plagues in Egypt when God delivered Israel out of Egypt in Exodus. You see a lot of similarities. And so it's as if God is saying, I'm getting ready to, to deliver my people again. And God delivered Israel out of slavery. He led them to the promised land. And what God is ultimately doing through all of this is he is leading his people, the people who stay faithful to him, into the eternal promised land. That's where we're going in Revelation, remember, right? Revelation is not about the utter, complete destruction of all mankind. It's not about God's getting just so fed up with us. He's like, you're all done. I gave you a chance. Revelation is the restoration of mankind and of the earth. That's where God is taking us. This God wants to restore everything back to his original intent, his original design. That's where Revelation is taking us. So that's exciting. But we still wrestle through the wrath part, especially as you're in chapter 15 and 16 here, bowls of wrath. You're just like, whoa. I love what, N.T. Wright said, he's a New Testament scholar, and he said this. He said, it's not what we wanted to hear, just as the news from the doctor or the pastor may not be, be what we wanted to hear, but it is what we must hear if the world is to be healed. So we struggle with the idea of God's wrath because deep down inside, whether we realize it or not, we feel like the punishment doesn't fit the crime. And I think that's because we don't truly understand what sin is and what it's done to us and to the world. 
And so it's important for us to truly understand what is sin. Like sin did bring disease and heartache and pain and death and destruction. And even worse than all of that, sin brought this huge chasm between us and our loving creator because sin is rebellion. And so there's this chasm between us and our creator that wants relationship with us. But sin broke that. Like we lost a perfect life in a perfect world. We lost a perfect relationship with the perfect God. That's what sin did. And Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter, verse three, says something I think is one of the most profound statements in all of Revelation. No longer will there be any curse. It's one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible because it shows us again where we're going. Think about the significance of that. We, have, we can't even fathom what life is like without the curse. I've been so excited to talk about that verse that I threw it in there today. <laughs> I, I wanted to throw it in like almost every week because it's one of my favorite verses in Revelation. We'll get there in a few weeks. But again, sin brought the curse upon us and the entire earth. So keep in mind, all of us were born into sin. All of us were born into a, like we deserve to be sentenced into God's wrath. Do you realize that? That's what we were born into. Unless we put our faith in Jesus, we will experience the wrath of God. That's why God sent Jesus. So that you wouldn't have to experience his wrath. Because he loves you and he wants relationship with you. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, all of us. And fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is, is death. That's the penalty. That's the payment. That's what we deserve. Because of our sin, we deserve death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I love what Paul says in Thessalonians here. He says, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we feel like the punishment doesn't fit the crime. But there are two very clear things that we see in God's word. Okay, two things. Number one, judgment and wrath will take place because of sin. But number two, God doesn't want anyone to experience it. And that's his heart. That you and I would accept Jesus, put our faith and our trust in him. Receive his grace and his forgiveness. And stay faithful to him for the rest of our life. Because God is love. But he's also holy. And he's also just. Because of that, justice will come. In fact, in the middle of the bowls of wrath being poured out, look at verse 7. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. See, we live in a world that's Obsessed with justice, but offended by judgment. Have you noticed that? Oh yeah, we see everything wrong and we want to right every wrong. Like we want to see justice. We demand justice, but we don't want God to do it. We're obsessed with it. But we're offended by judgment. This is what secular humanism teaches us. Secular humanism is really like, we don't need God. We can do this without God. We can do everything on our own. It's all okay. Like only fools, idiots, and dumb people believe in God. 
And that's what's being taught in a lot of our universities today. Now trickling down even into public schools for our kids. Like you're, you're very unintellectual if you actually believe in God. That's so old fashioned. Oh yeah? Well, let me tell you about this God and what he's done in my life that you don't believe in. Well, that's why we need stories. We need boldness. Anyway, secular humanism teaches we don't need God. Secular humanism teaches us this. It teaches us that, um, human, uh, that, that justice is good, but judgment is bad. Okay, we need justice, but not judgment. But biblically, the biblical worldview is this, is that justice comes through judgment. That's how it happens. There's no other way. So if you care about justice, then the truth is you do care about judgment. And here's what we know is that judgment will come through a loving, caring, patient, kind God. He is the one who will administrate this justice. Ultimately, we gotta really understand this. Here's the bottom line. Jesus the Lamb offers you a justice that you don't deserve because he took upon himself your judgment that he didn't deserve. He didn't deserve the cross. We did. So he offers freely to us freedom and justice and an escape from his wrath because he took that on himself for you. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. That's why we call his grace amazing grace. It's so amazing. Like he gives you his grace freely. You don't even have to earn it. He just freely pours out his grace. That's why it's important for us to filter all of these things, wrath, judgment, even every hard thing you go through in life, filter it all through the cross. Look at it in light of the cross and what Jesus did for you and for all of mankind. See, we, we often think that like, this isn't fair, or I shouldn't be going through this, or why God, you know, you know we love to argue with God and, and, and do all this. And, and it's another one of those interesting things, like who are we to argue with God? You know, like, if God truly does exist, he's way beyond us. Way beyond our understanding or comprehension. Like, have you, parents, have you ever had your kids, like your little kids try to reason and argue with you? It's not fair. I, why, I, don't, I shouldn't have to go to bed. My friends stay up late. I should be able to watch, I want to stay up and watch another movie. It's not fair. I want to stay up. And you're like, you're five. You're going to bed. It's not fair. I shouldn't have to. Like, okay, I'm old, way older than you. You're five. Okay, you just trust me. I know better. You need to go to bed. And I think God sometimes looks at us and we're arguing. It's not fair, God. What's going on? He's like, you're only 80. You think you know everything? Like, I've been around since before time existed. We try to argue and reason with God, but we can't. His wisdom is so beyond ours. His understanding is so beyond ours, guys. That's how great and amazing and powerful our God is. So we've got to filter everything through the cross. I know things happen that aren't fair in life. I can remember looking at my mom so many times in life, saying, Mom, it's not fair. And she'd look at me and say, life's not fair. And I'd be like, to me, it didn't make sense as a kid. Because deep down inside, we want everything to be fair. 
Good news, in the end, God will make everything fair. It will happen. Right now, we wrestle with the tension of all that, right? And like, I shouldn't have to go through this. I don't deserve this. This is too hard, God. Enough. Why? I can't take any more. You filter all of that through what Jesus did through, for you on the cross. Everything. Wrath, judgment, hardships, trials, persecution. Don't ever forget what Jesus did for you on the cross. So all the stuff that doesn't make sense in Scripture, wrath, battles, war, Old Testament stuff, it all gets filtered through the cross of Jesus. Point people to the cross. And so then we have Jesus saying this, Behold, I come like a thief. In the middle of chapter 16. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. So Jesus is going to come when we least expect it, like a thief. Like Jesus is not coming as a thief. He's not a thief. Let's be clear about that. Jesus is not a thief, but he will come like a thief. Like you don't know when it's going to happen. So he's saying, be ready. Be on your guard. Keep your clothes with you. Apparently it's a cultural reference to maybe people slept in the nude back in the day. And so like, make sure you keep your clothes right next to you. So if this happens, you got them right there. All right. And so it's just speaking to though that make sure you're ready because you don't know when this will happen. So let me just encourage you, be ready. Stay faithful. Grow in patient endurance. That's a message to the first century church facing persecution. It's been a message. It's a major theme in Revelation. So it's encouraged and strengthened believers throughout the century and to you today. Be faithful. Grow in patient endurance. Don't quit. Keep going. You got this. So much more we could say with that uh, statement there. You, you combine it with Jesus' parable of the ten virgins, you know, like, you know, some were ready, some weren't ready. It's, it's just there's so much imagery connected to that one statement. But um, here's what's interesting to me. It talks about Armageddon there. And I'll never forget being in Israel when I went and toured Israel years ago. And we went to this place called Megiddo. And it's on a hill and it's this fortress that had been built, like built and destroyed and built and destroyed and built and destroyed by different empires and kingdoms that, that had control at different times. And we're standing there. It's just a fascinating experience. They show us these ruins that they've excavated and uncovered. And like, this seems to be from Solomon's reign. Like Solomon built this. This would have been his stables for all of the horses for the chariots. And you're looking at this, and you're like, dude, this is like legit 4,000 years old. It's kind of like mind-blowing. 4,000 years ago, there were humans right here building this structure. Like, whoa. And they talk about, near Megiddo, lots of battles have been fought there. And you look across the valley. I remember looking on the map to see where we're going next. And we're driving to Nazareth next. And come to find out, like, Nazareth is just right across the valley from Megiddo. You can actually look off into the distance, right off the distance through the valley and see Megiddo on that hillside over there. We went to Nazareth, you look out over the valley, there it is, there's Megiddo. Did you know that Armageddon means mountain of Megiddo? That's what Armageddon is. And so isn't it just hilarious and crazy to think that Jesus grew up in this little town called Nazareth, right next to where Armageddon is gonna take place, which seems to be the final battle. This is fascinating. What does all this mean for us right now, guys? As we go through Revelation, some of us are like, 
I love learning about this, but what does this mean for us as followers of Jesus and as a church? It's important for us to wrestle with that. What should we do with this? How do we handle this? What, and so two things came to mind because I think Revelations reminds us that our faith is not just rooted in the past. Our faith is rooted in the future. It's not just rooted in what Jesus did for us on the cross. We praise Jesus for the cross. But it's also rooted in the, uh, it's rooted in the future because Jesus is coming back. So I have a faith not just rooted in the past, but it's a future hope that keeps me going. That I know someday all the rights, all the wrongs are going to be made right. Someday King Jesus is going to come back and fully reign. Our faith is rooted in the future, friends. We are future people. If you are a kingdom person, you are a future person. All right, so it reminds us of that. Jesus is coming back. So two things that come to my mind. That I pray that this future hope motivates us to evangelism and endurance. Those two things. Evangelism and endurance. I want you to pray about this all week long. God, would you, would you give me greater motivation for this? Some of you need to grow in motivation for evangelism and or endurance. Evangelism, where we're just sharing our faith. Share Jesus with the world. Hey, did you get a chance to do that this last week? I think there's some people waiting for you this week that need to hear the gospel. That maybe even need to hear just your story about how Jesus has changed your life. Jesus is coming back. I pray that that would motivate us to share and to endure. Whatever you're going through, just know it won't last forever. This too shall pass. How many like that phrase, right? This is going to come to an end. I know that Jesus is coming back. Yes, this doesn't feel good. Yes, this doesn't make sense. I'm struggling. I'm discouraged. God, strengthen me. I need you. But I pray that, that your future hope motivates you to endure. Don't give up, friends. Don't quit. Endure. This is a message of revelation to his people, to God's people. Endure. Endure. Some of you, maybe you're going through some tough stuff. You're going through things that don't make sense to you. It's difficult. It's hard. There's some major relational tension Maybe family breaking down, marriage breaking down. Maybe it's major health stuff in your life or maybe in your family, someone close to you. You just, maybe you're at a place where you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. You ever been there? Maybe there's some major financial hardships you're going through. Maybe you're just discouraged. Some of us are dealing with a lot of loss right now and a lot of pressure. Maybe there's major stress at work. You're just, you're, you're going through it right now. Let me just encourage you to endure. Keep the faith. Stay faithful to Jesus. He will be faithful to you through it all. He will be faithful. So grow in patient endurance. <laughs> and stay faithful to Jesus. Because here's what I know. In the end, there's a man in the clouds with a crown on his head. A sickle in his hand. Oh, it's going to happen, friends. Man in the cloud with a crown on his head and a sickle in his hand. I can't wait for that day. Would you stand with me right now? Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. 
To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.